you can see, I want to talk about two matters that the apostles insisted upon. And when somebody insists on something, it must be required. It must be needed. It's, it's something that it's not just take it or leave it. And there are many things uh, that they insisted upon. For example, salvation only in and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Righteous living. They, they insisted on all these things. But there's two things that they insisted upon when a new church was founded. And the, the, the council of, of the apostles in Jerusalem, they would have sent Peter, or they would have sent Paul, or Barnabas, Philip, and James, or John. They would have sent one of the apostles down to this church to encourage them and to guide them, as it were, this, this new bunch of new believers who maybe knew nothing, a lot of them knew nothing about the Old Testament, as we call it. And so they went down to give instruction and, and to give encouragement. And we're going to look at the two things that these apostles would have asked when they came to these churches. But we'll start off our reading in Acts 19. And we'll read from verses 1 to 6. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples, he said unto them, have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto him, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe in him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spoke with other tongues and prophesied. And so we see Paul having come to Ephesus, and at Ephesus he sought out the church. And I want you to notice two important questions Paul asked here. And the important questions were, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And unto what then were you baptized? And you can see the wisdom of the apostles as we read Acts 19, 1 to 6, because when Paul asked them had they received the, the, uh, the Holy Ghost, they said they had never even heard such a thing as the Holy Ghost. And so while <coughs> others were out evangelizing and starting up these churches, you can see the wisdom of the, the apostles as they visited all these churches. Because see, the churches were growing and they were expanding, and as I've said, the apostles visited these churches, and they weren't down there to, with a set of rules and regulations that they were to follow, and a set of laws that they must adhere to. They were sent to encourage them, and they indeed were sent to ensure that they were being taught properly, because we know a lot of the Jews who converted to Christ tried to hold on to the law and tried to have the uh, the. the People who weren't Jews and came as Christians, they wanted them circumcised and stuff. So they were going down making sure everything was being done right and proper. And you know, in the book of Acts, there are 19 references to believers being baptized. This was the apostles following the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ before he ascended into heaven. He gave them instructions, and we know of them. We read of them in Matthew 
uh, 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go, you therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And so the formula which Christ gave them was not the formula for the New Testament church. It was the formula for the church today, right until the Lord comes back. This was our Lord's request, and this was our Lord's command to the apostles and command to believers to be baptized in Jesus' name. And as I've said, there's 19 references in the book of Acts to people being baptized in Jesus' name, and therefore the question comes up, why did they baptize in Jesus' name when we read in Matthew 28 in the King James uh, where they're told to baptize them in the name of the Father, or the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Well, we can go on and we can say, well, the name of the Father was Jesus, the name of the Son, the Spirit was Jesus, yes. But you know, the apostles were actually following Jesus' command to the letter. They were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Now, this isn't a comment on Trinitarianism versus oneness. We're dealing with water baptism and the proper formula which Jesus gave his church. Because the original scripture of Matthew 28, 18 to 20, states that Jesus told the disciples, in my name. And so we know that this was changed in the second century. And we can look it up, and I have many references, and if you wish, I'll give you about four pages of references all verifying this, but I've just picked out one or two. The Catholic Encyclopedia, chapter, uh, part two, page 263, if you want to look it up. The baptismal formula was changed from the name of Jesus Christ to the words Father, Son, and Holy Spirit by the Catholic Church in the second century. The Demonstratio Evangelica, <coughs> Evangelica by Eusebius said, or sorry, Eusebius was the church historian and bishop of Caesarea. And he quotes the early book of Matthew that he had in his library in Caesarea. And according to the eyewitnesses uh, of an altered book of Matthew that could have been the original book or the first copy of the original book of Matthew, and he said, Eusebius informs us of Jesus' actual words to his disciples in the original text. And them words were, with one word and one voice, he said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations in my name, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So we know that that name was Jesus. And it is said in, the, uh, in his first translation of the New Testament, Erasmus, he actually had put in, in my name, again, in Jesus' name. And he was ordered and not only ordered, he was threatened to change this to in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And this was done by the Catholic Church at that time to promote their Trinitarian view. So we know that the disciples were baptizing in Jesus' name. We know that when they went to a new fledgling church to encourage this church, one of the questions, one of the important things they asked the people, have you been baptized in Jesus' name? So receiving these commands, they went out, and wherever people believed, they baptized them. But we also have a second witness for this in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 to 49. 
It said, Then opened Jesus their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures, and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name, <clears throat> in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And so we see Luke getting, uh, recording for us that things were done in Jesus' name. Prayer was done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation was called upon in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And baptism was done in and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, Peter gave his sermon on the steps of Jerusalem. And we're told that he said, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. When Philip was in Samaria, he preached the gospel. And many signs and wonders were done. And many gave their hearts to the Lord. And we read of that in Acts chapter 8, verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon, who was there, he was a sorcerer. And he uh, gave his heart to the Lord, and he also was baptized. Again, Philip, whenever Philip uh, explained the gospel to the Ethiopian eunuch, it is recorded in Acts 8.38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. We can look at many more instances in the New Testament where people were baptized in Jesus' name where they were told of the necessity to baptize in Jesus' name. Cornelius and his household. God's servant was sent to Cornelius, and he preached, and his household were saved, and they were baptized in Jesus' name. The Philippian jailer, when, when Paul and Silas were in jail, and they were chained, they were in the inner court or the inner cell of the jail, and there was like a, a thunder and, a, and, a, and an earth, small earthquake as such, and their chains fell off them. The Philippian jailer was going to kill himself. He thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul and Silas told him to fear not, where all the prisoners are still here. He brought them out. He fed them. He cleaned them up. They preached in his household, and they were saved, and they were baptized in Jesus' name. So everywhere the gospel was preached and received, the converts were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this, for me, stresses the importance of believers' baptism. There are, many today, <clears throat> excuse me, there are many today who will tell us you can take it or leave it. It's personal choice. Well, it wasn't personal choice for the apostles. And if we could talk to the apostles, they would tell us, no, it's not personal choice. You have to be baptized in Jesus' name. I, I, I shake my head at times, and I'm not criticizing other ministers, but hearing them talk about it, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just making it some trivial act, you know, some nice, sweet, traditional thing you can do if you wish. You know, many people today in society, including myself, were christened as a child, and their parents believed that this brought them into the church. 
When I was a, a, a baby, I, I had bronchial pneumonia. Uh, my mom, well, not my mom and dad, my dad was in the RAF. We were living in, were living in Western Supermer. My dad was promoted. We were going to go to live in Singapore uh, as whatever area he was working in, in the RAF. But I took bronchial pneumonia and my mom brought me home to Belfast. And the doctors told her I was going to die. And the minister in St. Patrick's Church of Ireland on the Newtonards Road opened his church and christened me and uh, thanked the Lord for that. And I'm sure he prayed over me. Such was the importance my parents felt that I had to be baptized as an infant. And God bless them for that. They were doing what they thought and what they had not been taught. And there's many people like that today where they think that as a child, they are baptized into the church. Baptism in the Bible is a conscious decision by an individual to follow the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. So baptism is a conscious decision by an individual to follow the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And baptism wasn't done by sprinkling. It was done by total immersion. It's symbolic of the, the old man dying and the new man rising in Christ. Baptism is by total immersion. And you know, the choice for people today is to do what Jesus commanded or to follow tradition. And sadly, having spoke to many people who were christened, they, they, I, I don't know what it is that... I definitely am not wanting them to think I'm right and they're wrong, but, but they just hold on to this and they refuse to be baptized. They prefer the traditions of men. Like I said last week, when we want to see what God dislikes, we look at Proverbs 16, the things that God hates. We can, uh, Brenda was talking on Wednesday night about the fruits of the Spirit. If we, if we want to know what a, a Christian should be like and, and, and what fruit should be coming from their life. We can go to the Bible and see that. And what someone does when they are saved, we go to the Bible and we see what Jesus said needed to be done. The, the, word of the, God is, the word of God is yea and amen. It changes not, brothers and sisters. And the command from Jesus still stands today for you as a believer to be baptized in and through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Please remember this morning, tradition will not save you. Tradition will not save you. It's following the commands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. You know, in the churches of God, it was always said, I remember them, I think this was on a badge someone gave me when I got first saved down in Strand Town. And it says, repentance brings obedience which is being baptized in Jesus' name, and obedience brings the gift, the Holy Ghost. So repentance brings obedience, and obedience brings the gift of the Holy Ghost. So if we love Jesus this morning, then we've got to look at ourselves and say, am I baptized? Did I go through the waters? Have I shown the word that the old man is dead and the new man is risen? I know you've heard me preach this before, but for those that haven't, just let me quickly give you an illustration. When Israel came out of Egypt, what did they do? They came to the, 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 the sea, the Red Sea, and Pharaoh was behind them. 
And he wasn't just behind him with a couple of soldiers. It was the, his SAS, the elite. They were, when Pharaoh went anywhere, they were with him. So they were coming down on them to bring them back into Egypt. And when they looked to one side, there was what's it's described as craggy mountains, which would be difficult enough for one man to cross, let alone two million people. And among them, uh, children, women, the elderly, their cattle, their flocks. To the other side of them, we're, we're, we're told there was a, a forwarding point of the Egyptian army. I can't remember the proper name of it. It'll come to me. But there was like a fort. And this was a warning uh, area. There, there had been some soldiers stationed there, and if some nation had been coming to invade Egypt, their job was to slow them down, and someone would have went back and told Pharaoh. So we had Egyptian soldiers on one side, we had Craggy Mountains on the other side, we had Pharaoh and his armies behind them, and the Red Sea, they had nowhere to go. And so the Lord, we know, opened the Red Sea, and they passed through on dry land. And the significance for us with baptism is this, brothers and sisters. You see, they had been set free. They had been set free by Pharaoh in a sense that they could go and worship their God. But the thing is, living in Egypt, if they'd have stayed in Egypt as free men, uh, uh, you know, free from slavery, they would have been under Pharaoh's laws. They would have been under Pharaoh's jurisdiction. And so when they passed through on the other side, they left that old life of slavery behind them and they became free men in God. And they passed through on the other side and they were children of God. And because they passed through on the other side, the world would have seen them. The other nations who knew what was going on and knew that there was an Egyptian army coming after this people and expecting this people to be slaughtered, there they were, free on the other side. They were new men in God. And we, as children of God, when we pass through the waters of baptism, we are telling the world that the old man who was slave to sin, the old man who was living under the power of the God of this world, was gone in the waters he is dead. We are rising a new man in Christ, and we are children of the kingdom of God. That's the significance of baptism, that the world may know that you're a child of God, that Satan may know I am a child of God. You no longer have dominion over me. I am risen, set free, water baptized in Jesus' precious name. The significance of water baptism, we should follow and not follow traditions. <clears throat> so after baptism, it wasn't over. Paul asked another question which was important to him. We read in Acts 19, Verse 2, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Again, they all did this. Read the book of Acts for yourself. Read the, the epistles. You'll find the apostles asking this question. And for me, therefore, this insistence shows me that this is important. Again, it's not another one of these take it or leave it. Would you like to? This is, have you received? You see, the source of the power of the New Testament church was not Paul, was not Peter, was not James, was not Philip, was not Stephen. It was the Holy Ghost. They were ordinary men, tent makers, fishermen, doctors. Their, power, their source of power was the Holy Ghost. 
And because they were filled with the Holy Ghost, signs and wonders followed their ministry. And signs and wonders followed their ministry because these were men and women of prayer. Men and women of prayer. You know, the sad thing today, I believe, is that people, in, in fact, down through time, it hasn't changed. They want the Lord to move. They want the Lord to heal. They want the Lord to deliver. They want the Lord to save the unsaved, but they won't spend time in prayer. When someone they know and whom they love is ill, they will get the prayer. When someone they know and they love needs deliverance, they will get the prayer. But they should be at prayer all the time. We should be at prayer seeking the unfilling of the Holy Ghost. We should be at prayer seeking God to move for his honor and for his glory. Seeking God to heal, seeking God to deliver those from addiction. <clears throat> the church needs the, the, the power of God. And you know something? The power of God will only come when the church, and that's you and it's me, spend time in prayer and fasting. These people prayed often and fasted often. And why were they fasting? Because the desire in their heart was for God to move. The desire in their heart was for a revival in the area that they were living. And such was the desire that they gave up, they sacrificed, they humbled themselves and prayed. You know, we need to be careful also today. Just doing a little study myself and these ones that are declaring this word of faith. And according to them, you just say it and you command it and God will do it. Well, you know something? I will not tell the Lord what to do and what not to do. And that's what they're telling you to do, folks. This is demanding the Lord to do what you want him to do. We want to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They tell you that if nothing happens, you don't have faith. You've lost your faith. There was a very prominent TV evangelist whose wife was into this word of faith and she died of cancer. And God forgive them, they slaughtered the poor girl. Where was your word of faith? God forgive them. They should have been praying for her family. And someone you disagree with in the word of God doesn't give you the right to condemn them. But anyhow, this word of faith, this claiming, this is not what the, the apostles did. When they said to, the, wasn't it Peter and John going to the temple and they said to the man, silver and gold have I, have I none, but of what I have I give unto you. Rise up in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That wasn't a word of faith. That was asking the Lord to heal the man. That was letting the man know that this is Jesus Christ of Nazareth who's granting you this healing today. The New Testament church declared the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. And they believed, yes, that the Lord would hear and answer them because they prayed, and this is the significant difference, they prayed in his will. You know, sometimes if your prayer is not being answered, you need to ask yourself, am I praying in his will? And we need to pray in his will. We need to seek the face of the Lord today for the church. Because church today, I would even say more than back in New Testament times, the church needs the Holy Ghost. We need a mighty move of God among us to reach the lost, to reach this generation. We looked last week at the internal and external battles of the Latter-day Church, and Satan's busy. Satan's busy trying to divide families. 
I just heard, I don't know if you know or not, this new uh, news program or app that ITV have launched. And this is for young teenagers. And it sounds wonderful that they're going to re report the news that they think young teenagers want to hear. But I wonder how many parents will monitor that. Because what ITV and the world is promoting today is sexual immorality. And they'll get news podcasts telling them it's okay. Sex outside of marriage, no matter who it's with. They'll talk to them about their, their gender and, and how they can choose who they want to be. You see, church, the devil is busy. We could look at that and we could say, you know, that's not a bad idea. It keeps children in front. Do you remember John Craven's news round? Come on, I'm not the only one just around 60 here. God forgive you. That was good. I liked that. Because it was unbiased reporting. But sadly today, even our own news, the things which God says are wrong are being promoted. And the things God says are right are being put down as evil and as bad. There's a, a girl at the moment, I think that it's the Christian Institute, are helping her with her legal fees. And she spoke out against some doctor who declared you could change your sex quite easily. And this girl knows what she's talking about and said you can't. It's impossible. A man will always be a man. A woman will always be a woman. If you can wear whatever you want, you can put a saddle on an Alsatian, but it won't make it a horse. You can wear what you want, but if you died, your DNA will come back as a male or a female. But anyhow, this girl is being lambasted. Her life threatened. And I bet you none of you have heard about it in the news, unless you've read the articles that I read from the Christian Institute. I won't report that in the news, but you say something against someone who's trying to promote this, and it'll be on every news channel in the world. The devil is busy, folks. We're not condemning people. We're not putting people down. But what we are saying is the church needs to awake. I can hear the Lord saying, awake, O Israel. Come on, the church needs to awake. And the church needs to get to some serious prayer, to some serious fasting, seeking the name of the Lord. Not, I'm not talking about you lot right. We're talking church worldwide. Not turning up on a Sunday and expecting all the blessings and ignoring God the rest of the week. Expecting God to move in miracles and you have no heart from him. Expecting God to, to, to move mightily throughout the church and you miss the church on Sunday morning because you couldn't be bothered getting up. We need to get serious again with God. And I'll put it this way. I need to get more serious with God. And hopefully you feel the same way about yourself. We need to seek the Lord in prayer and in fasting. Spending time before him. Reading his word. Sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel in love. Not in condemnation. Not judging people. There's one righteous judge. And we should leave everything to him. And we go out and we seek the, the lost to help the lost. We, we seek to help the hurting and we know God will bless that as we reach out in his name. The New Testament church did it. And they laid down their lives. And I mean, they did lay down their lives. Apart from John, every apostle died a horrific death. And yet not one of them flinched. They just kept praying and kept witnessing. What have we to do when we lay down our lives? All we have to do is sacrifice our time and give it to God. Sacrifice our talent and give it to God and sacrifice our tithe and give it to God. And give God the glory. Give God the glory. 
God will move in healing. God will move in deliverance. God will move in power in his church. I don't believe the Lord's coming back to a church that's hiding in the rocks. I believe he's coming back to a victorious church, which is making their stand in an evil world. Yes, there'll be trials. Yes, there'll be troubles. And you can check this out. If you go back to, we were just coming out of the last, or the first time we were in lockdown. And I did say that, you know, things are going to get worse. There's going to be more of this virus. There's going to be economic trouble. There's going to be civil unrest. And there is. And it's going to, I believe it's going to get worse. That's not a prophecy. That's my opinion, folks. I do believe it's going to get worse. Look at the economy. When this, all these rises kick in, what do you see the economy going down? You do know there's another 30% on your gospel, by the way, coming. Things economically in the world are falling apart. Go to the border of the Ukraine and see what Russia are doing. Again, this is my opinion. I think it's all saber rattling. I hope to God it is. I don't want to see our sons and daughters having to go and lose their lives because some Russian dictator wants to take over. And so pray for that, folks. But the world is in a mess. The world is falling apart. Satan is having a field day, and God's people couldn't be bothered getting on their knees to pray. I'm talking worldwide, folks, okay? They won't spend time in prayer. I know in America things are different, but I read where an American pastor put out a, a, a questionnaire, and it was anonymous, so that people would answer, well, he hoped people would answer truly. And like a large church, there was something like 12 or 13% prayed every day. And we're talking mega large church here. And not even just over uh, what, 12, 13% actually said they prayed every day. Come on, church, let it be said that 100% in here pray every day. I'm concerned about our children. I'm concerned about our grandchildren. As the Lord tarries, what world are they coming up into? Because if we don't do something, they're going to be given all this ungodly teaching, ungodly living is going to be promoted amongst them. And we cannot defeat them on their own. We need the Holy Ghost to move. We need a mighty revival in our lives because that's where it happens first. People pray for a revival in our land. You know where the revival starts? Here and there and there. And it spreads like a ripple. It's time to seek the Lord in prayer and fasting. It's time to forget about your traditions and follow the Word of God. And the Word of God is clear. The Word of God is explicit. And again, this is what we want to be. We want to be like the New Testament church. We need to be careful when we say that. I remember one year at a conference, this gentleman stood up and said that we should be exactly like the New Testament church. And I said, well, praise the Lord, brother. You go and sell your house and bring us the money and we'll put it into the church. Because that's what they were doing in the New Testament church. But they weren't doing it to show off. They were doing it because they knew back then the Lord was coming soon. And such was their belief that Jesus was coming soon. They sold what they had and they gave it to God's work and they looked after each other. And we know that the apostles appointed deacons to look after the distribution of the food and the money and especially looking after the widows. Such was their belief 
that they lived every day, that they spent time in prayer, that they spent time in fellowship one with the other. The great debate about Sunday night services, they didn't have an official Sunday night service, but I assure you, they met on a Sunday night and prayed together and fellowshiped together and sought the face of the Lord together. Church, that's the hunger God wants. We've got to be realistic with ourselves. We can look around and say, what's oh, his fault, nothing's happening, and it's her fault. And we can point the finger, as it were, at people thinking, God's not moving today because of him or because of her. God's not moving today in my life. If he isn't, it's because of me. I'm not spending proper time with him. And with respect, if God's not moving in your life, it's not my fault and it's not the elder's fault. It's your fault because you're not spending time with him. You're not honoring him. You're not giving all the glory to him. You're not lifting up his name and you're not seeking what he has asked for you. He wants to bless you this morning, church. You know something? I believe the Lord wants to see people healed in this church. The Lord wants to see people healed in Garnival Presbyterian, in Knocknagunny Hall, and all the churches. But he wants to see his people hunger for him. He wants to see his people hungry for the things of God. He wants to see his people just giving everything over to him. I can give you a bad illustration. I know you wouldn't think it to look at me, but I used to compete in bodybuilding. And I would train five, six nights a week for that goal to pose at the front with the light shining on me. I hated it. When I, I did it once and I never did it again. It just wasn't me. But the point I'm giving you is I watched my diet. I was careful with what I had. I trained different body parts so that I wouldn't overtrain a particular body part. I trained along with someone because the weights we were using so, were so heavy that it was, you, know, you, you had to have someone to do what they call spot you. Such is my dedication to achieving that goal. I lived and breathed it. The fella I trained with, listen to this one, the fella I trained with, we went to a seminar. Uh, it was one of the guys at One Mr. Universe. I can't remember his name. But he was down in the Park Avenue Hotel. It was the Mr. Northern Ireland competition. He held a seminar. And he said, you need eight hours sleep a night. And the fellow I trained with, his wife stayed awake till he fell asleep. And then she sat the alarm for eight hours and woke him up in eight hours time. If I asked Dean to do that, she'd hit me with a clock. <laughs> but that was his dedication, folks, to what he wanted to achieve that everything in his life, his job, his family, they had no children at the time when I was training with him. So his wife, even, she was in on it too, whether she wanted to or not. That was his dedication. That was my dedication, maybe not as much as his, but that was my dedication to achieving that goal. So I look at my life now and say, what is my dedication? Am I giving that time that I used to give to my body? for no profit at all, really? Am I giving it to my spiritual life? Am I spending that much time reading God's Word? Am I spending that much time praying? I do spend a lot of time, obviously, studying for, uh, to share the Word of God with you folks. 
But you know something I've really tried to discipline myself in? It's just reading for myself, not to preach, but um, just to read God's Word, to, to bring it into myself. But being a preacher, you always get a thought and you end up writing notes, but I'm trying my hardest. Are we giving time to God? Are we laying down our lives? Thank God none of us are going to be torn apart or run through with a sword. But the word or the phrase lay down your life is live for God. Live for God. Live for God. I'm reminded of someone else, and I'll share this with you. I've told you this before. He was actually a relative of mine in my last job. And he worked night and day, and he was at the top of his profession. In fact, when they went into Iraq and they had sent off Saddam Hussein, they started up an international police force to help the Iraqi people get things sorted out. And such was his standing that he was chosen to go over and be the chief constable and help that the, the Iraqis and the United Nations organize a police force. So that's a, a, a guy from our police service. But I was driving him one day, we were chatting, and we were talking about these things, and he said, you know, Alan, I would give it all back if I could have my family back. His job, he sacrificed everything and he lost his family. He said night and day, going away on trips, going away and uh, studying in, in England to get where he got. And then when he got where he wanted to get, there was no joy. He didn't even want it. And I spoke to him about the verse, what does the prophet a man again the whole world and lose his soul? See, we can give our everything to our job. We can give our everything to our hobbies, our interests. But do we give everything to God? That's a question this morning. God wants to bless you this morning, church. God wants to fill you with his spirit. God wants you to pass through the waters of baptism if you have not passed through the waters of baptism and let the world know that you are a child of God. You are no longer under the domain of the prince of this world, but you are a child of the kingdom of God. And having done that, God wants to fill you with his spirit. God wants to use you, to move through you, and to bless you. And you know, you can get a lot of people who mimic the move of God. What's the minister and he's mimicking people who, were, who speak in tongues. And he thought he was funny. He was going Suzuki, Yamaha, Honda. And they were laughing. And I thought, God, forgive you. God, forgive you. Because the New Testament says they spoke in tongues. I wonder, did he mimic them? See, that's the, the, the tradition that we have today. And some people have actually told me, brother, I couldn't do all that talking tongues and stuff. You know, there's nine spiritual gifts. And I would recommend that you speak in tongues because it's wonderful, especially when you're praying in your own sacred place. Just feel the anointing of God when you just break out in tongues. But it's all about God's move in your life, God's power in your life, that when you pray for someone, God will touch them. But it comes with a price. It comes with a price. If you want God to use you, then you've got to give yourself to God. You've got to show God that you want him. You've got to show God that you love him. 
and you've got to show God that you're serious about your walk with him. Are you praying, Lord, use me in ministry? Well, you know something God's saying, get filled with the Holy Ghost. And we'll take it from there. Amen.